Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This week, Steve Crawford and our guest, the Reverend Clark Campbell Evans, discuss the books of Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Clark helps us see the literary themes in each book and offers a powerful summary of the prophetic purpose through the words of Abraham Joshua Heschel. Now, here's Steve to offer an introduction of Clark and kick off the episode. Our distinguished guest today is the Reverend Clark Campbell Evans, who is currently the Director of Missional Engagement for the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church. Reverend Campbell Evans grew up in Tampa, graduated from the University of South Florida, and attended seminary at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where he graduated in 1986. And I should add, parenthetically, wrote his thesis for his Master of Divinity degree on the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Clark served as a missionary in Latin America after graduating from seminary, specifically in the Dominican Republic. He served as the liaison between the General Board of Global Ministries of the United Methodist Church and Autonomous Methodist Churches in the Southern Cone of South America, which is Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay, also in the Andes region, which is Bolivia and Peru, and also with the country of Cuba. Obviously, Clark is fluent in Spanish. He subsequently pastored the multi-ethnic church called Fulford United Methodist Church in Miami, Florida, served as the district superintendent in Miami-Dade County, Florida, and was the senior pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tallahassee, Florida for nine years. Clark is married for the past 30 years to Sally Campbell Evans, who serves as the pastor of congregational care at Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. They have three adult children, and I had the pleasure of attending high school with Clark at H.B. Plant High School in the 1970s. Welcome, Clark. Glad you are with us. And let me specifically say that we are going to focus on five particular, what we call minor prophets, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. And let me ask you, first of all, how do we and why do we distinguish between the terms major and minor prophets? Well, first of all, let me just express my uh, delight at having the opportunity to come and be a part of these podcasts. I think that the the two of you and the rest of your team, Steve and Matt and, and others, have really put together an exceptional resource for those that are engaged in the Bible 2020, the Bible Project 2020. I think it's really been... Uh, an incredible effort, and I'm grateful grateful to you. Um, you know that that question about major and minor prophets is a common one. What what in the world do we mean by that? And the short answer to that is nothing more than just the length of of the prophet. Uh, if you look carefully, you will notice that major prophets have 1,200 verses or more while minor prophets have 200 verses or less. Uh, it's really nothing more than the length of what they are saying. They're more concise. Sometimes they were writing for a, 
a reduced number of years. Uh, they were prophesying for a, for a fewer number of years, and that's why you have uh, both major and minor prophets. All right. Well, not to poke fun of it, but I guess if you were verbose, you could be a major prophet, and if you were laconic, you could be a minor prophet. <laughs> I love okay. it. Okay. Let me ask this, uh, and there seems to be some uh, misunderstanding of the word prophet. Uh, some people associate the word prophet with either forecasting or fortune telling, something like that. What is a good definition of the word prophet? Um, you know, prophets uh, in the in the sense of the Hebrew prophets were people that were interpreting the events, the current events of the day with a strong look to God's desire for mercy and justice, uh, for holiness by the people of Israel. Uh, one of the really renowned Old Testament scholars on the prophets is Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, he really focused on on the prophetic works, and he, in his book, he defines what a prophet is. I thought it would be really helpful just to listen to what he says is that special role of what it means to be a prophet. Here's what he said. The prophet is human, yet he employs notes one octave too high for our ears. He experiences moments that defy our understanding. He is neither a singing saint nor a moralizing poet, but an assaulter of the mind. Often his words begin to burn where conscience ends. All right, let's break that down a little bit. When um, Mr. Herschel says, or Dr. Herschel says that a prophet is human. Uh, what's the importance of knowing that? Well, I think that it is recognizing that all of us is, as human beings who encounter the divine are really trying to perceive and respond to God's call upon each of us. And I think Heschel is trying to point out there the importance of understanding that prophets, no different than you and I, are, are human and and attempting to respond to God's call upon all of us. Okay. Um, so a prophet's volume often sounds a bit shrill. Uh, is that one of the points that uh, Mr. Herschel is attempting to make? Uh, you know, I the reason I wanted to share this, Steve, is in part because both when you look at Old Testament prophets and when you look at modern prophets today, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who, by the way, was a friend of uh, Rabbi Heschel, um, uh, and others who are trying to speak prophetically. Sometimes their words just they 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 sound a little shrill to us. They sound a little bit like they don't quite fit. But part of that is is that their ear is cocked towards God's vision of how the world ought to work. Uh, it is it is really God's sense of justice that causes the prophet to respond so strikingly in the way that that they, that they do. Well, I love that phraseology: an octave too high for our ears. Great way to put it. Well, let's focus then on the group of minor prophets that we're assigned to for this particular podcast: Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Um, and let me ask you this. Um, are they history books? Are they strictly metaphorical? Um, 
Does it enhance our understanding of these particular uh, books and what their theological points are if we look at the literary components of each book? Uh, that's a that's a great question, Steve. I want to just back up for a second to say that there is an historical period that we're talking about, that all five of these prophets are speaking into uh, Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms uh, of the people of Israel, uh, in a certain historical time. And localizing these prophets in that period of time is really important. And there are two major events that somewhat frame this time period when these five prophets were writing. The first of those is the upcoming fall of Israel to Assyria, which happens in 722 BCE. And that would be the northern kingdom? The northern kingdom. uh, Assyria, when you begin to look at at the writings of people like Micah, uh, you know, who kind of see Assyria off on the horizon and coming closer and closer and he is he's writing in that particular period of time the the later bookend to this time period happens in 586 BCE when the when the southern kingdom Judah, Judah finally falls to Babylon and that's only a 130 year period each one of these prophets are relating into this 130-year time period and really trying to speak to the events of the day. And the element where sometimes we hear about prophecy being predicting the future, prophets do have a strong sense that, man, if you are behaving like this, uh, God may not tolerate this for very long. And so there is a sense of trying to uh, also speak into the... Uh, future of what might happen if people continue to ignore God's call upon humanity. So roughly speaking, to put it in historical context, we're talking about a time frame of, oh, let's say 700 to 500 BCE. Right. That's okay. A, yep. All right. Okay. Then let's go back to the literary components. I appreciate you putting in historical context for us. And the two bookend issues, the fall of the northern kingdom and the fall of the southern kingdom, first to Assyria and then to Babylon. Talk about the literary components uh, and the difference in the way these particular prophets address those issues. Um, One of the really fascinating ways to understand the differences between all of these prophets who are, when you read through their prophecies, they sound similar, they mention uh, similar people, similar events, uh, they respond to certain circumstances in similar ways, and if you're not careful, they can all begin to kind of blur together. Well, uh, there, uh, James Mylenberg was an Old Testament scholar, and one of the things that Mylenberg pointed out is what is known as, as a, an element of form criticism, which is look at the literary components of what you're reading because they can help you uh, put into sharp relief the messages of the different prophets. So the, if you look at just the literary components of these five, you'll see that they are, they are strikingly different. Okay. The, uh, the prophet Jonah, for example, is really best understood uh, literarily as satire. 
Because frankly, when you read it, you'll notice that every single one of the characters, from Jonah himself to the sailors on the boat, to the people of Nineveh, to the king, even the cows of Nineveh, <laughs> they, they, even, even the big fish, every single one of them end up behaving in an unexpected and, and even sometimes humorous way. Uh, and, and really, it is satire because Jonah isn't the hero of, of that writing. Um, in fact, there's an anonymous writer who's written it about this prophet who is very grudgingly uh, taking, uh, uh, taking God's word to a place. And you'll notice when he finally gets around to preaching the sermon in Jonah, um, it's only eight words long. <laughs> Forty days and you're done. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even mention their sins. He doesn't even mention God. Uh, it's a, it really, but understanding it as satire really helps to unpack that a little bit. When you turn to Habakkuk, if you look at the literary form of Habakkuk, you'll realize that, that the prophet is addressing Yahweh, is addressing the Lord, is, is addressing God. All of the prophecy is not addressing the people of Israel. It's not addressing the leaders. It's not addressing the enemies. It's addressing God, which has caused some scholars to look at this and think, oh, maybe what you have in Habakkuk is liturgy. And so if you unpack the, the prophecy, what you find there are things like lamentation. Uh, you find there... Uh, application for for what what the people of Israel need to be doing you find their confession you find their a great thanksgiving at the tail end of the of the prophet and you find a benediction now it doesn't all flow in in traditional liturgical order but it has caused some scholars to say could this have been a liturgy that might have been used as a way for the people to lament what's going on but also call to a renewal of of uh, of dedicated practice for justice in the world. All right. Well, going with your literary component theme, uh, let's move on to Micah, um, who is a prophet before the religious reforms of, Ki of King Hezekiah, but still foretells uh, what is going to occur. There's some great verses in Micah that we all know, uh, and they deal with social justice. Is that a Fair way to say that that's the theme of Micah's social justice. No question about it. And Micah, you know, in terms of its uh, literary components, is probably of these five the most closely allied to what we would call classic prophecy. Uh, Micah uh, wrote slightly before Isaiah and Amos and Hosea and Jeremiah. They're all kind of grouped in that same uh, time period. And they uh, and, and Micah is really trying to, to show the back and forth as we move towards um, practicing justice as a way that we move from judgment to hope. Well, and let me quote from a famous statue that is at the UN in New York City where you went to seminary. They will beat their swords into plowshells and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up swords against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. 
Yeah, that's um, yeah, wonderful. And it's always interesting to me. You know, the country that gave the statue to the United Nations uh, that has that inscription on it was? I don't know. Russia. Oh, how about that? <laughs> Interesting uh, yeah. <laughs> situation. Yeah. All wow. right. And then we go to uh, the other, and again, my favorite, so I apologize for that, but 6-8, which says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, what a great quote from Micah. Indeed it is. And it, it really, when you look at the uh, at what's happening uh, today and some of the um, some of the social unrest going on in in uh, in our country, and you go out to look at the placards that people are holding up, uh, you will find people there with Micah six eight on their placards. And while you have people saying things like Black Lives Matter and and other things, they're also speaking uh, out of this deep, rich sense of social justice prophecy uh, out of the Book of Micah. All right. Well, and I think it's also kind of interesting that the Hebrew word for justice really comes from the Hebrew concept of right relationship. Mm-hmm. That the that what you've got is a sense of the balance of a right relationship with God and a right relationship with your neighbor, which is the biblical understanding of what justice really is. And when you pursue that to its natural conclusion, what you have is a deeper sense of uh, of shalom, of the, the wholeness and well-being of the community uh, and it, it's the way you love collectively is by doing justice. <laughs> well, with your permission, let's move on to Nahum. <clears throat> um, uh, nah- Nahum's uh, – it, it's interesting because Nahum appears to be one poem uh, that was written uh, – it may have been edited several times, but almost from beginning to end, it seems to be – a pretty consistent poem. In fact, when you look at it, it has the structure of an alphabet poem. An alphabet poem starts with the Hebrew letters of the alphabet, and that was used as a mnemonic device to help other people retell the story. And so the story is really focused on the fall of Assyria and is in its message a rebuke of militarism. But it's looking at the fall of Assyria, it's looking at the fall of Nineveh, and it is a retelling of that action as a way to talk about God's justice and God's judgment against uh, the use of military force and the use of abusive and unjust practices uh, among the people. It appears to me that one of the themes of Nahum uh, is that the Lord's judgment that God is slow to anger, but justice often requires punishment. Mm. Fair to say that uh, that would be a, an appropriate theme or a theme that is highlighted in this particular book? I think so, Steve. Okay. All right. And I guess that may be why the Greek goddess Theus uh, has the um, scales of justice in her left hand, but carries a sword in her right hand. Mm. Okay, then let's move on to Zephaniah. It's interesting to me with Zephaniah that the that what happens is this um, sense of the reversal of the creation story. 
near the beginning. And as you move through the prophecy, what begins to happen is a calling out of all of Israel's enemies. And it's a little bit like getting everybody who's listening to him kind of nodding, yep, those people are really are really the terrible people. They're our enemies. They're they're not the people of God. And you know, and kind of in mid nod at the condemnation of all these enemies of Israel, Zephaniah finally zeroes in on Jerusalem and on the people uh, of Israel. And so here, kind of in mid nod, they go, "Oh, oh, you, you mean that that word is also a judgment on on us as well?" I was struck with the almost repeated circular nature or nature of um, the message in, in Zephaniah. I, you know, when we went through um, judges, for example, we would have the same thing. The people would do what they wanted to do, and then there would be problems, and then they'd repent, and then they were uh, restored uh, after they got back in right relationship with God. It appears to me in Zephaniah that we have that same story, uh, judgment, punishment, mercy, restoration. Is that a, a fair statement? That real cycle of moving towards restoration is really uh, one of the powerful things about Zephaniah. And the way the that prophecy ends um, with saying that there will be a, a kind of a song in the mouth of God uh, singing... Um, in, in appreciation of you, the people of Israel, it's really a powerful, uh, powerful end to that prophecy. Let's uh, back up for a minute and look at this kind of collectively. Um, it's about a period of time that is over 2,000 years ago. Um, is there relevance to what is going on historically and what these particular books tell us theologically to what we're going through today? I, I think that the words of the prophets to the leaders of the nations, uh, but especially to the leaders of their nation, not so much the leaders of other places, but the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Judah, uh, and, uh, and really trying to point out how the arrogance of leaders uh, can lead to practices that are profoundly unjust. Um, and I think that the that this this movement of prophecy was really trying to call uh, the nation back to its origins of being a nation that that prioritizes um, the the justice of uh, for all people. Um, you know, the foundations of our country were built on liberty and justice for all. And I think that that word of prophecy way back then is a call to the United States today for us to be aware that um, as, as we think about who we are as a country and the, the values of the things that we care deeply about, there's this deep prophetic call upon us to really prioritize um, equal treatment of all people and, and to really prioritize the way that we can 
establish justice at the very center of who we are so that people are treated fairly and equitably. I think that there's a profound word of hope uh, in the call for justice in, in our time and in our own country. Well, thank you, Clark, for your insights and for helping us see the distinctions in these five prophetic texts. Clark mentioned the work of Abraham Joshua Heschel, a name that has come up a number of times in our journey through the prophets. Rabbi Heschel's seminal work is entitled God in Search of Man, and he also authored a volume on the prophets appropriately titled The Prophets. You can find either book on Amazon or likely in your local public library. Or if you're feeling like doing something interesting, you could strike up a relationship with a local rabbi as he or she would probably have a copy of Heschel's work and would love to talk about it, I bet. We're still worshiping online Sundays, 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join us on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org forward slash live. You can also connect with us on Facebook, search for The Bible Project 2020 and request to join. Steve Crawford produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.